Welcome everyone to Bottomless Broadway, where we talk musicals over mimosas. This is our very last episode of the 2023 season, where we will talk about our predictions for who will win the Tony Awards. And if you've missed it, prior to this episode, we've reviewed just about every new musical that came out in 2023 and is eligible for the Best Musical Award. So check those out. But otherwise, we'll be probably talking through them a little bit today anyway and i'm cindy i'm here with my co-host christine just to note we're taping this like a week before the tonys happen even though this will probably only come out like a day before the tonys happen and i notoriously change my predictions a lot within the last week before the tonys and we're doing predictions for both plays and musicals so that will give us a chance to talk through some of the plays we saw but yeah let's just go from bottom up then starting with lighting design of a musical. All right. So our nominees are Ken Billington for New York, New York, Lap Chi Chu for Camelot, Heather Gilbert for Parade, Natasha Katz for Some Like It Hot, and also Natasha Katz again for Sweeney Todd. I really did not have a opinion. Also, (laughs) we still haven't seen Camelot or Sweeney Todd yet. So tough, but... I just went with Sweeney Todd because that seems to be what people are maybe trending. And... I thought you were just going to say it because of the poster <laughs> and how it lights up his face. Like, serial <laughs> mean. It, it So Sweeney Todd and Camelot, from what I've seen, have both kind of the same type of set where there's a, not a lot going on in the set. So I'm it looks assuming, really bare, yeah. Yeah. So I'm assuming lighting really helps create like mood and drama or something in there. And if not, mm. then I'm it must just be really boring. <laughs> yeah, because of these, we've seen New York, New York Parade and some like it hot, and I didn't really notice lighting much in any of them. I would say maybe Parade more than anything out of the mm-hmm. ones we've seen because of like the lit stage in the center for the trial and stuff. But yeah, lighting's tough. We can move on to lighting design of a play. Are there seriously We're- seven nominations? I know, it's crazy, right? Is that Which even means allowed? That there was a three-way tie. Oh my for the gosh. fifth slot. Do they tell you which one? No. Okay. I'd be All so right. curious to see. Let's go through the nominees. Okay. <laughs> Neil Austin for Leopoldstadt. Natasha Chivers for Prima Facie. Uh, John Clark for A Doll's House. Bradley King for Fat Ham. Tim Lutkin for Life of Pi. Jen Shriver for Death of a Salesman. And Ben Stanton for A Christmas Carol. I think A Doll's House is probably winning. It's kind of the same deal where there's absolutely no set except a turntable and like two chairs. And everything is pretty much done with the lighting. So I totally that's why I put A Doll's House. I that projections would count for I think projections probably count as part of set, which is why I didn't. I know like I don't notice as many projections as you do, but I don't really remember there being like specific objects and things projected onto the floor that much i thought it was a lot of wavy lighting to emulate that you're in the ocean and i just thought that was lighting yeah i think it could go kind of either way definitely the projections were more specific than that because they showed the actual water and they would show they would have projections of water sort of splashing up to the side of the boat and stuff and also i think the entire back wall was projection like you know how it went from the hospital to like the zoo where he grew up and then to the wide open ocean and stuff and that was all just done through projections as well so i I think that would 
be more included in set. I don't. That's fair. I mean, I think Life of Pi still would probably be my second pick for this. Though I've heard Prima Facie, which we also haven't seen, is also pretty top there with lighting because it's also somewhat bare. People just didn't design sets this year is what I'm getting from this conversation. <laughs> I mean, a doll's so, house was really cool because I feel like there was interesting lighting in terms of how they were lighting up Jessica Chastain's face, depending on like what part of the turntable she was at. Mm-hmm. The lighting definitely set that kind of weird, not eerie or dull, but this in-between feeling of the set. Yeah. It's tough because... I know Lil Polestat is kind of a favorite this year. A Doll's House is a favorite this year. And I saw both and I do like both. But there isn't like a play that is really set to sweep every category. Mm-hmm. Last year we had Lehman, which really did well in the majority of play categories. Yeah. It was like so much easier. And I feel like this year we have to think <laughs> about all of them. Just shout out to Death of a Salesman. That I really liked. Um, I don't think it's winning in this category. I mean, it was more of a set than A Doll's House. But I do think a lot of that was also defined by lighting too. But I just don't think... It it has also been closed for a while. So I think people probably forgot a lot about it. I'm really shocked at how much it was snubbed. Did it close just because it wasn't popular or was it limited? I think it was always limited. Okay. Because... It was good. And I mean, like, we'll talk about this more with Revival, I guess. But I just can't believe how many categories it was left out of. Yeah. Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. He served a dog and a vengeful god. He served a dog and a vengeful god. What happened then? Well, that's the play. And he wouldn't want us to give it away. Not Sweeney. Well, sound design of a musical. We got Kai Harada for New York, New York, John Shivers for Shucked, Scottler and Alex Newman for Into the Woods, Gareth Owen for Anne Juliet, and Nevin Steinberg for Sweeney Todd. And I see you think that your predicted winner is New York, New York? Yeah. I mean, I'm not confident about this because of the instruments. Um, oh. <laughs> I feel oh, like okay. I feel like anytime people play instruments on stage, they always get sound design. It's because it's just like a different type of miking and stuff. Also, it should be noted, sound design is like notoriously hard to predict because no one fucking knows what it is. But sound design also is one of the two categories along with orchestrations that's only voted on by people who are specialized in that category. I put Gareth Owen as like a possibility for Anne Juliet and especially for a show like Anne Juliet. You could actually hear the lyrics and stuff pretty well like it wasn't muddy, uh, which is somewhat impressive for how loud pop concert vibes that show is, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm leaning New York, New York just because of the instruments <laughs> um, and also because of you. what they do with the orchestra at the end. I don't know if they change up like how their sound design works for that. That's that's one thing the show's got going for it. <laughs> I have hear to hear every line of their shitty book. <laughs> yeah. When when I saw that you picked this, I was like, but why? But I think that that makes sense. I've been convinced. Sound design of a play. We got Jonathan Deans and Taylor Williams for Ain't No Mo. Caroline Downing for Life of Pi. Joshua D. Reed for Christmas Carol. Ben and Max Ringham for A Doll's House. Are they brothers? 
and the same people for Prima Facie. <laughs> Wild. Okay. Wow. Good for them. I mean, Prima Facie is a one-person show. So mm-hmm. I'm like, if you fuck up the sound design for that, like, I don't know what you're doing. But <laughs> um, I picked A Doll's House because they just really went for like an ASMR vibe. They did not try to make it sound like they didn't have mics, which I feel like a lot of shows do you know like they don't want to make it sound too amplified a doll's house was like no we're gonna talk like we're speaking into your soul so it really worked for the character because i think so too that jessica chastain plays nora nora it just because she literally has the vibe of like a tiktok asmr girl she's kind of adorable but there is this weird underlying central vibe of the play and she's often telling secrets or just shit that in general she shouldn't be saying so it has this <laughs> yeah. like, weird confiding aura mm-hmm. to it so i really enjoyed that were there cool ambiance noises for life of pi I think there were some. Obviously, there's also all the animal sounds, like the one guy who just roars for the tiger every time. So I could see Life of Pi getting it just because of the actual balance of everything. It also has music and stuff like that. But I feel like A Doll's House was like the most impressive sound design because you could actually just hear them whisper and like you could really hear the differentiation between like what their voice was doing. Wait, so I'm finally looking at the Tony predictions on New York Times, which I've been avoiding because I uh-huh. did not want to be swayed by Jesse Green and his annoying opinions. <laughs> so he doesn't even predict these categories. He yeah, just that's the like, other thing. Most people only do the major categories. So like people don't really predict what like, are we even design doing? categories. Yeah, I know. We're actually going through them all. <laughs> And then, like, Variety put out an article that said for every category in the Tonys, and then they didn't. Is Variety good for theater? No. (laughs) (laughs) But they were, like, one of the only ones that had a list of, like, their actual predictions. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, surprisingly, people haven't actually put out their predictions. Like, normally I look for um, Time Out New York. I look for... Sometimes Vulture will do one. Oh, Henry Productions is, like they try to do more deterministic predictions because they have like an algorithm machine and those have not come out yet. So I was like, it's a week before the Tonys guys, let's pick it up. (laughs) Do we usually record later? I didn't even think so. I feel like we usually record less than a week before. Maybe we're old. We just can't edit that fast anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The thing that I actually find the most helpful for predictions is normally around the Friday before the Tony Awards, the New York Times will essentially do exit polls because I think Friday is when they vote. And they ask a bunch of people after they voted what they voted for and why. And like these people are anonymous, so you don't like actually know who's who. So you can't go after them, I guess. But I think that is probably the most helpful indicator because it's like, what the actual voters think rather than what people think the voters think or what people think they think the voters, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, and then you can see if they're like trending a certain way. Like I really should have seen inheritance coming for the win that year, but whatever. (laughs) I was so sure, but then I wasn't sure because (laughs) no one else agreed with me. Off the crowded avenue, somehow late summer sun breaks through. In the midst of a million things Light People stop 
and stare a while. Shadows lengthen in single file. All together the city sings loud. Best costume design of a musical. We have Greg Barnes for Some Like It Hot, Susan Hilferty for Parade, Jennifer Moyler for Camelot, Clint Ramos and Sophia Choi for K-pop, Paloma Young for Anne Juliet, and Donna Zakowska for New York, New York. Um, I full-on said Anne Juliet, no research, nothing. I was just like, this is the only show that I remember with good costumes. So I'm just going for it. Definitely Anne Juliet is my pick. Like I talked in our episode on it, how much I love the costumes and how like they're kind of a mix of Shakespearean-esque styles but with modern sensibilities i'm like really into that incredibly flattering like they're well designed outfits and this idea of semi-modern semi-shakespearean i feel like is kind of in and things that you like Mm -hmm. see in high fashion anyway i feel like i legitimately could see the costumes in and juliet like on the runway oh yeah Originally, I had Anne Juliet predicted just because I was like, wasn't feeling strongly about any of the other costumes. But I did move my prediction to Some Like It Hot because I feel like that's just a show a lot of people like that probably won't win too much in other categories. And also, I feel like people just are really into glitz and glam, jazz age kind of period costumes also. And like their costumes weren't bad. Especially for Jay Harrison Gee, both as Daphne and as Jerry. Okay, I'm literally trying so hard to find these videos, but <sighs> there's this TikTok trend that's like dressing as a blank model, blank being like a very specific designer. Uh huh. But like, it's not like you can do it for any designer. Like, there's one designer that everyone does, and I literally cannot remember for the life of me but it's one of those very camp designers that like layers a lot of like flannel with corsets with lace with fishnets with chunky boots and it's just like kind of all over the place but it looks sort of like pop punky and sort of historic interesting i can i'm like trying so hard to remember this designer i can't but it's like this big thing like and like people love the aesthetic online mm-hmm. right now and i feel like that is so much like the costumes and juliet if we find it by the time we edit this we'll put it in the show notes yeah i'm gonna stick to my heart and say and juliet i mean listen some like it hot like jay harrison g looked great but christian burl looked shitty so was it the <laughs> costumes or is it just because jay harrison g is a beautiful person you know <laughs> yeah fair so for best costume design of a play We've got Tim Hatley, Nick Barnes, and Finn Caldwell for Life of Pi, Dominique Von Hill for Fat Ham, Bridget Reifensudel for Leopoldstadt, Emilio Sosa for Ain't No More, and Emilio Sosa again for Goodnight Oscar. Um, it should be noted that in this category, Life of Pi costumes do include the puppets. So that's why I was like, it's got to be Life of Pi. Yeah, it seems kind of like an easy choice. And I don't, okay, I've only seen Fat Ham and Leopoldstadt in and life of pi in this list like not the last two that amelia sosa did but i don't remember any great costumes from fat ham and leopoldstadt so it wasn't fat ham has sort of well there's that like ending i guess of fat ham but i think fat ham is one of those shows kind of like dear evan hansen where no one cares about the costumes because they're all like regular people costumes you know 
Like, they just don't look that impressive. I did like the costuming for Ain't No More. And if Life of Pi, like, didn't include the puppets, that probably would have been my pick. Because Ain't No More is, like, a series of sketches. Each one is very different. And so they have a lot of different costuming styles for that. So... That would have been my next pick. Lil Poldstall, like, I don't know. I guess when they were supposed to be rich, they looked rich. And then when they were supposed to be poor, they looked poor. <laughs> Good job. You nailed that part. And all you'd ever hear me say is how I pictured me with you. That's all you'd ever hear me say. on a scenic design yep all right so best scenic design of a musical we have beowulf Borat for new york new york mimi Leans yeah. for sweeney todd scott pask for shocked scott passed for some like it hot and michael ergen and 59 productions for camelot i have not seen camelot but i picked camelot because i was crazy <laughs> because the rest <laughs> closed your eyes and threw a dart no you know what i did is i literally googled camelot broadway and then i went to google images and then i looked at some photos and i was like this looks better than all the shows i've seen this year <laughs> and i picked it because here's the thing is in our new york new york episode we kind of detailed all of the cute ways that there are multi-purpose props in the set but i mean it was done very intentionally it was the same trick over and over of like the briefcase is one thing you flip it around it's like another thing and yeah it was like that same type of prop used over and over and i feel like other than that i don't remember anything smart about the set and we talked about how there were like a lot of big pieces and you could tell there's a lot of money thrown into it but it just wasn't that smart And I honestly considered some like it hot because I was like, there's a lot of stairs and the whole doors with the chasing scene, like potentially. I mean, I think New York, New York definitely seems like the general favorite to win. The sort of props that we mentioned, there's the whole um, steel beam tap dance scene where they go up. I think they do make a fairly good use of projections, like obviously not as good as like Life of Pi, but the rain scene and the like subway scene or whatever and oh, yeah. all that. The they New have a York lot of summer in New York in the fall, I guess. Yeah. That's cool. Like they just have a lot of different sets for a lot of different parts. So sure, maybe, but it's also just like they're winning this year because they had a set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that good. I think a lot of shows just weren't focusing on set design this year but um best scenic design of a play is miriam butter for prima facie tim hatley and andrej golding for life of pi rachel hawk for goodnight oscar richard hudson for leopoldstadt dane laffrey and lucy magnan for christmas carol and it looks like for both of our predictions and favorites we put life of pi i mean (laughs) how could you not (laughs) like Plays don't often have too much going on in the set, but I feel like this year, Life of Pi is going to be, you know, better than the winner of Best Scenic Design of a Musical. Like, I mean, I really loved Life of Pi as a play. A lot of people did not, but even if they didn't, they just came out being like, that was the best, like, visual show that I've seen. 
you know. I thought it was so good. What what are the criticisms? People say like in the beginning it's a little too pedantic and at the end it sort of like spoon feeds you the whole thing, which apparently didn't happen in the movie. Like that was implied, but not actually. Oh. I was an idiot, I guess, because I did not feel that implication very much. <laughs> the first time I saw Life of Pi, I walked out of that being like, that was amazing, no notes, you know. And when I saw it the second time, I did feel a little antsy in the first like half hour of Life of Pi because I was like, I just want to get to the boat, you know, because like all the cool stuff happens when they're on the boat. But I still thought his like family life was cute. I refuse to watch Life of Pi again, even though I speak very highly of it because I just don't want to see Buckingham die a second time. Yeah. It makes me It so looks <laughs> a lot of the animal deaths were like wildly graphic for being puppets. Like when he kills that turtle like that. Oh my god. I really thought I was walking into like a cute kids show. <laughs> so I was kind of traumatized. I don't think I want to rewatch it because it's just like not an easy play to watch. And I also can kind of see that maybe the rewatch value isn't 100% there. But oh, the first time I saw it in the ending, when the insurance investigator person <laughs> writes that little letter affirming, what's the main character's name? Pi. Um, <laughs> the animal story. Yeah, like, and just like understanding him, I was like practically on the verge of tears. I was so hungover and I was on the verge <laughs> of tears. <laughs> So moving on, best orchestrations, John Clancy, Kimberly Akimbo, Jason Howland for Shocked, Charlie Rosen and Brian Carter for Some Like It Hot, Bill Sherman and Dominic Falacaro for Anne Juliet, Daryl Waters and Sam Davis for New York, New York. Cool. This was a fucking mess. Um, <laughs> we have almost everything highlighted. So here's what I did. I put, well, so originally I just went Kimberly Akimbo all the way. Because I That's was like, I I you know, why not? Orchestrations, nobody knows, and you just vote for the best movie. But then I was like, and originally I had like Kimberly Kimba as my pick also, but I have been just listening more to Shucked recently, and I'm like, Shucked is just so charming with their country music orchestrations and whatever. And I'm like, maybe if people feel really bad for Jason Howland, who wrote Paradise Square last year, and they got fucked over a cast album because their producer was shit, maybe they'll give it to him for that. But I think my actual pick now is Some Like It Hot because okay. my guess is Kimberly Kimbo's probably winning score. But people, okay, for so whatever reason... Your rationale is like Some Like It Hot is getting all the pity awards. <laughs> yeah. And I guess like Some Like It Hot, it is very classic big band era. And I, I do like the orchestrations on there. And then I also just threw in New York, New York as like maybe a, a like dark horse second place kind of thing. Because is that why you bolded it halfway? Yeah. That, I did that <laughs> for a couple categories where I like bolded I saw a that, but line. I literally thought it was like a New York Times website glitch. Oh, no, that was me. Uh, <laughs> I'm the glitch. You know, New York, New York, again, he plays like all the instruments. They have all the, the things with all the people in the orchestra. I feel like, I don't know if we clarified, but basically the way we did it is we each have our predictions for who we actually think is going to win and then we have our favorites. So we're talking about a lot of shows 
try not to get confused. I don't know. Tough luck. <laughs> um, yeah, I put Kimberly because I just figured it might be one of those categories that Kimberly sweeps. You know what is one thing that I love about the Shucked album, the first corn song, um, mm-hmm. is when they're like, take it to a bris. And then or whatever or a funeral like when they're talking about yeah. occasions and then when they say bris they actually have this like knife swishing sound it's like, <laughs> yeah. and i was looking for it on stage and they don't have it on stage i think they just like added it in the post oh okay yeah the, the album and i was so sad because i was like i love that addition like it's so funny and especially when they, they like make the knife sound and then gray henson goes ah and I was like, this is just perfect. Like it was so good, but they didn't have it on on stage, and I was really sad. But I do also think because they do include a lot of like general farm noises in the cast mm-hmm. album, so like assuming those count as part of the orchestrations, I don't really yeah. know. Like I I also found those really charming, and you know, I would I would love to see Chuck do well. I also put in Angelia as a personal favorite because I just like the instrumental changes yeah. they made to all of the pop songs they used. I literally always try to put on Anne Juliet when I'm in the car with Rebecca because I'm like, it's kind of pop music from like Are you just youth. trying to like expose your therapy her gateway into liking drugger? the show? Like gateway <laughs> drugger? Yeah. No, I, no, she likes the show, but I, it's just like, I want to listen to show tunes, but she doesn't want to listen to show tunes. So I'm like, I feel like this is a good compromise. <laughs> but then she still gets annoyed with it because she can definitely tell that the orchestrations are very show tune-esque and mm. she doesn't like it. She's like, no, I want to just actually list. She's like, can you just make a playlist of these actual songs from Anne Juliet? And just play it. And I'm like, no, this is not the point of the experiment. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess I like the orchestrations. And at least she can evidently tell that they are more show tune-esque. So orchestration, I feel like also basically includes arrangements. So like all the mashups and stuff that are in and Juliet. Oh. So all this to say that I have no fucking clue with this category. I had a strange loop for orchestrations last year until the day of when I was like, you know, it could be Girl from the North Country. And then that <laughs> turned out to be the actual thing. I always feel like jukebox musicals sometimes have a leg up with orchestrations too. Wait, Moulin Rouge was a different year from Girl from the North Country, right? Did Moulin yeah, because that was the year when there were only three. Moulin Rouge got orchestrations? Yeah. Or- but I think that was also just because they were like, you put, you know, 73 songs into your show. Cool. Well, choreography so best choreography uh we've got Stephen hodgett for sweeney todd casey nicola for some like it hot susan stroman for new york new york jennifer weber for Anne juliet and jennifer weber again for k-pop i don't know i sort of cheated but because i love the choreography in some like it hot and mm-hmm. i also think that it'll likely win like kim really didn't get nominated here a lot of the other more like heavy hitting shows this year i don't think had notable choreography so some like a hot mm-hmm. just makes sense and there were like a significant number of great tap numbers and i also put as another favorite and juliet because i love the dance in that show and i love the energy from the dancing like in blow mm-hmm. i literally just they're so well rehearsed it's so energetic and explosive and i feel so happy when I watch that number. But one thing about Some Like It Hot that 
you know, kind of takes it to the next level for me also is the dance is so well incorporated into not just the songs, but like the plot and like moving the plot uh-huh. forward as little plot as there is in um, You Can't Have Me If You Don't Have Him and Vamp right. and all of those. They're kind of like, like in Vamp, they're literally like dancing while running away. Like they're not just running away, but they're <laughs> yeah. like dancing as they run away. And both of the main leads, you know, dance a solid amount. It's also not one of those shows where like the leads just sing and you have a heavy dancing ensemble, which is the case often. And yeah, obviously the last big tap number where they're running away from the mob is really well. (laughs) Just like with that number, I feel like in a lot of, in the rest of the show, the dancing is so well incorporated into the scene. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's one thing that it has over some of the other shows that were nominated that had really good choreo this year. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think Some Like It Hot is going to win. Also because Casey Nicola has never won a Tony for choreography before, which I was shocked by. Right? Because he did like in the nominations every year. I know. Exactly. So I'm like, this has got to be his year. Like he it's his time. Like he's won for direction for Book of Mormon, but never for choreography, which I feel like is also his stronger suit anyway. It's so rough because like when you're a category like this, where it depends on kind of how well the rest of the show does, like part of it is just picking the right show to choreograph for. (laughs) Yeah. My personal pick would have been K-pop. Like, I did really like the choreography in Anne Juliet. I mean, I think Jennifer Weber just runs a tight ship. But I think K-pop, and I mean, this might have been like a complaint for some people, but I think it's just like unlike any other Broadway choreography. Because I've heard people say like, oh, K-pop was too Broadway for K-pop fans and too K-pop for Broadway fans. But I feel like for the choreography, for me, that really made it stand out. But like, I also did really like her work in Anne Juliet. I like can't listen to some of the songs on the Anne Juliet album without like thinking of the choreography and I mean the same for k-pop too in that regard the choreo for k-pop is like definitely super impressive I just feel like I was so much more impressed by how in sync they were than the actual Mm. choreography Uh but it was still really good yeah and like I feel like you can kind of that like we weren't surprised at all that Jennifer Weber did both because yeah yeah i was honestly surprised sweeney todd got nominated because a lot of people seem to have really mixed opinions about the choreography in sweeney todd where they're like it's just distracting like why is it there because apparently they choreographed all the ballads or something what yeah do they just that's what i'm wondering random you know how like sometimes there's like a ballad and then like two random people just show up in the back and do a waltz that's like what I'm envisioning. All right. Actually, my like absolute conspiracy theory that I'm sure is not true for choreography. Because Stephen Hodgett, who did Sweeney Todd, also choreographed A Beautiful Noise, which, again, did not think there was that much <laughs> choreography in A Beautiful Noise. But it won like a Cheetah Rivera Award and stuff. So there must have been some choreography people liked. But I, my conspiracy theory is that people would have been like, yeah, he technically deserved it for A Beautiful Noise. But we just hated A Beautiful Noise so much that we're going to nominate for him for Sweeney Todd instead. <laughs> but did he technically deserve it for A Beautiful Noise? I'm still struggling. I don't like, if know. These are the two shows that he has to show for his choreography. I'm just like, I don't know. If someone hits a rhythm, then a riff comes from a horn. Then we jump in and play it out till a brand new song is born. Well, this is like a late night jam, but now it's just us two. So till the tune is perfect, kiddo, you know what we have to do. 
Almost Famous, music by Tom Kitt, lyrics by Cameron Crowe and Tom Kitt, Kimberly Akimbo, music by Janine Chisori, and lyrics by David Lindsay Abair, K-pop, mm-hmm. music and lyrics by Helen Park and Max Verdon, Shocked, music and lyrics by Shane McGannelly and Brandy Clark, Some Like It Hot, music and lyrics by Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman. And we're on full, we're in full agreement here <laughs> with... The winners will be Kimberly Kimbo, but should be Shocked. Yeah. I don't know. Shocked is just like, I enjoy listening to that album the most. I really love the music for K-pop, but it's just like a different listening experience. And like, this is definitely like the nomination was the award for them because it had closed so soon and stuff. But Shocked is just like a great album to listen to. And like when I was editing Shucked last week, it was hard for me to pick snippets to put in the show because I was like, I just want to put the whole song. I know. I actually like hyper fixate on one Shucked song like every day of the week or something. (laughs) Literally. And and we've talked about this so much in our episode on Shucked where I was like, both Kimberly and Kimbo and Shucked, the music was good when we saw the show, but the music was so much better when we listened to the cast album. But for Kimberly Akimbo, it was more like I didn't realize that there were several specific songs that were very good, like better. But mm-hmm. then with Shucked, it was like pretty much the entire album. And when we recorded the Shucked review, I was like, I don't like Woman of the World at all. And you were like, Woman of the World's really good. And literally since then, I've been humming Woman of the World nonstop. It's getting revenge on me. I don't really know. <laughs> but now I do pr- like it a lot. And I think today the song I'm hyper fixating on is okay. It won't leave my head. Um, But I have been doing this with Shucked so much ever since the cast album came out. I liked so much of it when we recorded our Shucked episode a couple weeks ago, but I like even more songs now. Glad we are in agreement. All right. Well, then (laughs) next one, best book of a musical is David Lindsay Berry for Kimberly Akimbo, Robert Horn for Shucked, Matthew Lopez and Amber Ruffin for Some Like It Hot, David West Reed for Anne Juliet, David Thompson, Sharon Washington for New York, New York. The dramatic irony of us like putting out our New York, New York the show where we're talking about Tony predictions and we're like, there's no way this is getting book. Oh my God. It was just wild. Yeah. But I just, no, (laughs) I think in the categories where New York, New York somehow made it into a nomination, it was more of like a process of elimination, not like, oh, we choose New York, New York. Yeah. (laughs) I went back and forth on this a bit. I originally thought Kimberly Akimbo would be my prediction, but now I'm just like, you know what? I'm rooting for the underdog and the underdog is shocked, which would have been my (laughs) personal pick anyway. I love Shucked. Yeah, I straight up ignored Kimberly Akimbo for this. I don't know. I know it's like an important show, but something about it was lacking. And we've talked about how the tone of how they told the show is kind of weird and hard to digest the first time you watch it. And Shucked was so great. But I also ended up putting in Juliet just because Mm -hmm. as I put Angelia as my personal favorite, but Shucked as the prediction because... When you had watched Shucked a second time and you were like, it's so great. And I was like, yeah, I know Shucked's really great. I was really 
not sure if I like Shucked more than Anne Juliet or Anne Juliet more than Shucked. But then I saw Shucked again and I still really liked it, but I don't think the rewatch value was as there for me as Anne Juliet was, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily the book's fault. It is a good book. It's tight. It's fun. It keeps you guessing a little bit, but in like a rom-com way where it doesn't give you an anxiety. Yeah. Most of it makes sense. Like it's just so good. But I really personally enjoy the book of Anne Juliet more because it's such a unique take on Romeo yeah. and Juliet and it captures the camp so well. And I feel like I'm so tired of Shakespeare and especially Romeo and Juliet. But on and off Broadway, we have seen so many renditions of Shakespeare and especially Romeo and Juliet. And usually I'm like a pretty big hater. I remember when I went to see Scotland PA which we also really liked. But um, in the hallway leading up to it, they had like a history of Shakespeare adaptations. And, (laughs) you know, that's where I learned how like Kiss Me Kate is like basically Mm -hmm. this whole thing. And I was reading it and I was just mad the whole time because I was like, why can't people (laughs) move on to some like other stories? So I feel like I'm kind of like already uh, not like a Shakespeare hater, but I'm just like so tired of the adaptations that I'm kind of like ready to dislike them. But that Anne Juliet book is so charming and the shock factors that they want definitely work. And the parts that make you excited work, the parts that make you feel like empowered or inspired or sad, everything does what it's supposed to. And it's, it's purposefully camp. It's like purposefully overdramatic and everything just works as intended. Mm -hmm. I definitely think Anne Juliet is my number two. I thought it was a great story it worked pretty well i mean i had originally had some issues with the whole framing of shakespeare and anne hathaway like i have a few notes on the book whereas i think you were just like you know it's perfect it's great and i i do think it is really great i think it's really impressive how much david west reed did with it in both like integrating the songs and in crafting what is essentially a completely new story for it but yeah like shucked is just like definitely up my alley a little more with the jokes i just love a traditional book musical i think like it just really Mm. gets me where it's like there's nothing necessarily special that shucked is doing but it just does what it's doing so well like that personally just speaks to me and the thing is so many people praise some like it hot for being nothing more than just a well-done traditional musical yet like they don't see the same thing for shucked and that's so annoying I don't know if it's just because there's less famous names attached to it or the premise is very hillbilly, so the Broadway people just can't get behind it. But I feel like when people are like, some like it hot is so great, mainly because it's a well-done traditional musical. I'm just like, but what about Shucked? Yeah, I'm just like a hardcore Shucked fan now. Best Direction of a Musical. We have Michael Arden for Parade, Lear de Bessonet for Into the Woods, Casey Nicola for Some Like It Hot, Jack O'Brien for Shucked, and Jessica Stone for Kimberly Akimbo. Um, and I had put both my favorite and my prediction as Michael Arden for Parade. Like, what's good about the direction in Parade? I don't actually know. <laughs> but... <laughs> 
I think this is definitely just where people are trending. When you do a revival, it's just a different type of direction than a musical. Like, I could definitely see Jack O'Brien being my pick for direction also for Shucked because the jokes are so tight. Like, the delivery is so well done and that probably also has to do with direction. But just Parade has such a big cast also. Part of direction is just moving the characters on stage and figuring out how you're going to stage it and that sort of thing. And when you have such a big cast with children, I just thought it was like an impressive endeavor but based on what i've heard parade was kind of a flop when it first was on broadway and people said like yeah it was a really notable show but it didn't quite work for some reason and people are definitely crediting michael arden with making it work for this production direction is so hard and in the past it's only been easy when a revival makes major changes and you can really tell if it's made the show better or worse, like in the case of Company and West Side Story, kind of. Yeah. And like in those, you're like, okay, I can really see the director at work here. And yeah, like I'm not really familiar with previous productions of Parade. I don't really know if Into the Woods did anything special. And then some like it hot and shocked, like I was just saying, are like both very straightforward musicals. So I was just lost. I mean, I think you could also make an argument for Kimberly Akimbo if people are voting down the line. And I think they did assemble a really good cast for Kimberly Akimbo because part of direction is also technically casting, Mm -hmm. um, which you could also say for Into the Woods. But I think Kimberly Akimbo has tone issues and maybe that's the book and maybe that's the direction. The amount of love for Kimberly keeps growing. I don't really know. Every time I think there's been enough love for Kimberly, like someone else shows up in my life that's like, have you seen this show? It's amazing. (laughs) I'm like, really? I thought you were cool. Um, I always teeter back and forth on is it a strong enough front runner to sweep this year? Moving on to best direction of a play. We have Sahim Ali for Fat Ham, Joe Bonney for Cost of Living, Jamie Lloyd for A Doll's House, Patrick Marber for Leopoldstadt, Stevie Walker-Webb for Ain't No Mo, Max Webster for Life of Pi. So you went for A Doll's House for your favorite. Yeah. You know, that sort of stripped down thing I thought really helped the play work. I think what A Doll's House did with the text is what the Oklahoma revival wanted to do when they had those like blackout sequences where they're like, you're just here to listen to us talk into Uh microphones and stuff. (laughs) And in Oklahoma, I was kind of like, why, what, what are we doing? But here I thought really highlighted the characters well and just how much Nora was really confined and like she sits in the chair for the whole show and like doesn't leave until the end. Yeah, I just thought it was a really well done way of exploring these characters in, you know, the time period that they lived in while still making it feel relevant to the time period now and not just like mm-hmm. a random period piece of like, wow, women's lives sucked back then. It's like, well, <laughs> they kind of still suck. That's a really interesting thought because I really attributed like of that to the playwright just because I was so shocked to find out how old it was because watching it, it felt very modern and not just like the issues that she was tackling, but also like spoiler alert, the ending was very empowering. And Mm -hmm. it is something that, you know, like you don't even see sometimes from plays written this decade. So I was super impressed by that, but I really like attributed it 
to the playwright. But there is something missing. There's something with it that doesn't sit well with me. It's kind of like Kimberly Akimbo where we were like, we don't really know it's wrong, but it's just like, why are they so happy? In a similar way, like A Doll's House, although I love the show so much, something with the direction of and at first I thought maybe it was Jessica Chastain because remember when I was like I really like this show I don't and I really like her character but I don't know if she was doing something weird with the character but I actually think that like her acting's really well and really believable but potentially the way that the director had her take on the character didn't sit well with me it's such a complex character also and there's so many ways to interpret Nora that it's also really hard because she's kind of naive and kind of caring and also anxious and also has this very very dark side to her as well I think there is like a layer of artifice that's purposely added to her like you never really feel like she is being genuine and maybe that is what bothered you or maybe it's something else but I like liked that because you could never really tell what she was thinking and if like she truly believed what she was saying i think she you could tell that she was feeling so much emotion but her voice remained that kind of like monotone asmr whisper Mm -hmm. for a lot of the show there was not a lot of range in terms of the noises she was making like there wasn't a lot of like screaming or crying or anything but you could tell she was feeling so much I think that might be part of it like just the fact that what I was hearing and what I could see her character was going through was so different that there was a disconnect Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's more direction than Jessica Chastain because we know she can scream like (laughs) yeah so you put Leopoldstadt as your pick yeah for my prediction and for a winner. I don't really know why. I just thought it was a good play and I liked how the time jumps were handled. So so much of it was like centered around these big family gatherings where you would have like 20 aunts and uncles on stage and there would be like four separate conversations going on and you were all always able to like focus on the right one and really understand the story and I think just the sheer amount of people on stage yeah that's why I had it for a prediction pretty much everything you just said there's a lot of people there's a lot of different characters yeah and also I mean I think it's just a general favorite play for this season it means the Dorsey can stop beaming and my cousin can stop dreaming of his portion of my estate it means no this isn't over not set No, I won't wake up tomorrow Drowning in my sweat It means I've got the greatest partner Any man can get It means I'll never, ever, ever Underestimate that woman Cause this is not over Yeah Let us continue we are now moving on to the actor categories so first one up is best featured actress in a musical and we have julia lester for into the woods ruthie and miles for sweeney todd bonnie milligan for kimberly akimbo natasha vett williams for some like it hot and betsy wolf for and juliet looks like we both predicted bonnie and my favorite Mm -hmm. was bonnie but you put your favorite as betsy wolf Yeah, I mean, I was like pretty torn between these two. I think 
Betsy Wolf does more like quote unquote acting throughout her arc in Anne Juliet, which is the only thing that like I put her ahead for. But I also really like Bonnie Milligan for just like being the crazy aunt. And we talked about Kimberly Kimbo. They really all do portray fully three dimensional characters. Like she's not just a joke. I don't know. Like I think Betsy Wolf really grew on me as the show went on for Anne Juliet. I also put her as like a maybe second place possible dark horse winner because I feel like she's been one of those people who's like been around the industry for a while who like people really like so if they want to they could award her this year for that but I do think Bonnie Milligan has definitely been more highly trending so Kimberly Akimbo is one of the first shows we reviewed for this season and immediately when we were preparing for to, to talk about Kimberly Akimbo I was like oh my god Bonnie Milligan and I just kind of love how every year I latch on to Best Featured Actress with <laughs> so much intense, like so much intention. We we predicted a lot of people for this category. It was a, it was a tough category. And um, we were talking about both of the older characters in Bad Cinderella, which mm-hmm. I guess that just never had a real shot now, did it? Yeah. <laughs> so tough but yeah i really like bonnie milligan she brings so much life to the songs that she's on her voice is so good her comedy is so good and she did write kimberly's easter bonnet number which i saw on the playbill and i was like oh she's talented oh wow that's pretty cool yeah all right best featured actor in a musical we have kevin calhoun for shuck justin cooley for kimberly akimbo kevin dogla from some like it hot jordan nonker from camelot and alex newell for shucked and it looks like we fully went alex newell for this one yeah i think alex newell just has a lot of momentum for shucked right now and especially you know they have a mid-act standing ovation especially like if you're not a big Broadway person. If this is your first time seeing Alex Newell and your first time seeing Shucked, like it's just such a flooring number. Yeah. I remember when you were telling me about Justin Cooley, you know, being a favorite for this category and everything. We we're talking about Kimberly mm-hmm. Akimbo, but I just don't really think he's doing as much in, yeah. in the show. He definitely seems to be like the runner up sort of person that people are talking about. I know a lot of people who do like him. Well, he's he's doing kind of the Tony Shalhoub in Band's Visit role, though he does <laughs> a little more than Tony Shalhoub did. But and I think he like really suits the part well. Like he is pretty charming. He's just like a little puppy, you know? <laughs> and yeah. you really just like him. I definitely judge featured actors in musicals more on their musical numbers which may or may not be correct as well as like on just how much stage time and shit they're doing <laughs> yeah which also may or may not be fair and just coolly like he was in a lot of ensemble numbers and he was great i think alex newell is just kind of like yeah a bombshell I think, yeah, I think Justin Cooley is great. He'll be fine if he, like, you know, continues to do other things. He's, like, 19, so, like, he's got a long life ahead of him. Like, I'm not concerned about his future, you know? I mean, not that I'm concerned about, like, any of their futures, really, but (laughs) I just don't think this is necessarily the year for Justin Cooley. I guess my question for you is, if Andrew Durand were nominated, would you still pick Alex Newell? I would pick Andrew Durand. 
I mean, first of all, just based on what I was talking about, he does so much more than Alex Newell. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Alex Newell, amazing, kind of does the same thing in every show. Yeah. And I've never seen Andrew Duran before. I mean, you showed me other threads that you were reading where a lot of people felt that Andrew Duran was a standout. Mm-hmm. And I love when I come to conclusions myself that I think are controversial, <laughs> but then a lot of other people agree. Oh, he's such a little cinnamon roll with a very, very weird angular body. Very weird <laughs> angular cinnamon roll. Um, cinnamon but yeah, square. He, yeah, basically. Like, I really think that he is the best part of every like ensemble number that he's in. His two and a half solos are beautiful and not just his voice, but I think he really is one of those theater actors that can act very effectively through his singing Mm -hmm. because somebody will and okay. Like I think you can feel like so much emotion and so much heart. And I think Alex Newell is more of just a fantastic belter and Andrew Duran, I think was doing something really special with his character. Yeah. I think Alex Newell is definitely like a showier role where, I mean, Lulu does get some great acting moments, like when they are having their sort of like bonding moment with um, Gordy. A lot of people are like, oh, well, like Alex Newell shouldn't win just because of one song. But I think that's like a little bit downplaying how much Alex is doing in the show, as opposed to like Mm -hmm. Matt Doyle, which really was just mostly for one song. But (laughs) um, I mean, I do agree that I think Angie Durant, like, Andrew Durand in Corn Mix is still like just so good when like they start singing um Somebody Will and he's like, Yeah, that's my song and I'm like, You're such <laughs> no. a like, you know. Um but no, like Alex Newell definitely like obviously plays a part in I Do and Friends and stuff, but I just didn't find him as much of a standout in those duets and ensemble numbers yeah. as Andrew Duran was. I would agree. But they make my shit. Okay, so moving on to the play categories, best featured actress in a play. We have Nikki Crawford for Fat Ham, Crystal Lucas Perry for Ain't No Mo, Miriam Silverman for The Sign in Sydney Brewstein's Window, Katie Sullivan for Cost of Living, and Kara Young for Cost of Living. And you've seen two of these, right? So yes, you had so no opinions. I sat out because I've only seen Fat Ham and Sign in Sydney. I think this is when you need to tell me a little bit about Cost of Living because you seem to really favor it in your predictions but i don't know anything about it okay so i really enjoyed cost of living it is five characters four characters and it's really just like about caretakers and people with disabilities and so i guess to use this category as an example katie sullivan is a double amputee like she had both her legs amputated Um, And she's actually like a double amputee in real life. There's also another guy in the show who he has cerebral palsy. So they both are like living sort of separate plot lines where Katie Sullivan, it's her ex-husband who is kind of taking care of her. They have like kind of an on the rocks relationship. He's like still taking care of her, but their relation, their actual personal relationship isn't very good. 
Um, and then Kara Young is this sort of younger girl. She's struggling to pay for college and stuff who gets hired by the um, cerebral palsy dude who he I forget his name, but um, he is actually like really smart and also pretty rich. But he still needs someone to just help him with like day to day living and stuff. And it's just sort of like their lives. It's it's a little bit slice of life, but it does have like a larger plot. Kara Young, her character sort of falls for the guy that she's taking care of and she like makes some personal sacrifices so that she can like help him out more which like don't end up panning out for her like it's like stuff like that it's a really sort of like small show in that regard where it's just very much about these people's lives but in doing Mm -hmm. that it's also sort of commenting on larger society overall carrie young actually does have like the final scene is with her and the ex-husband who he was also nominated for a uh, featured actor and they just have like a really nice moment of like connecting over just like human compassion almost and like empathy so i just really liked her in this show uh she was my pick for my favorite out of all the featured actresses Mm -hmm. katie sullivan also does great work she's like this very sarcastic like she doesn't feel sorry for herself despite the fact that she like really depends on someone else to also help her get around and everything but um so you know they're all just like very likable characters in that or like they're just different from like how you would expect people with major disabilities to act so i just really liked the show for portraying that and also just portraying the hardship of people in a way that wasn't like cliche or anything. And then but, yeah. for your predicted winner, put Miriam Silverman. Yeah. She's the older sister, the, the one who's like sister. kind of a wasp. Why is she the favorite? Because she, you know, unlike Alex Newell was actually just on her stage for her one scene. Like she wasn't. I doing actually really anything, liked her right? in the show. I mean, she was definitely a very fairly minor character. But her character was also, I felt, pretty important to the show because the show is about, you know, these liberals living in West Village who like are living the quote unquote bohemian lifestyle. I thought what the show overall did really well was it showed like different sides of liberalism and how much you could hold on to those values as you sort of rose up in the world. Mm -hmm. But Miriam Silverman's character is definitely the like actual upper middle class who like sort of looks down on her younger sisters for believing in those values and like she's got her own values of what she believes is right and first of all i think that's like an important character to have just to show this was not what everyone believed but i also just really liked her because her character feels like it could be just like really put a damper on things and be like oh well you're just like the old person that doesn't like you're like the boomer that doesn't understand right but I feel like she actually made the character fairly sympathetic. I don't know if you had the same experience, but I liked her I for that. was actually so bored during her scene until the end. The part where I really felt like she struck a chord with me was more when she was talking about like how her husband's cheating, but she doesn't really care. And then um, the main character, what, what's his name? The guy. Sydney. <laughs> okay. Sydney when he's like are you lonely like what do you do and she's like yeah I just like live my life and worry about my sisters and my kid and that is how I live my life and I'm fine and I thought that part was like very pointed obviously but just like an interesting take on a character that I feel like a lot of people know I think whether it's mid last century or now 
you know that person who doesn't really have any hobbies of their own to live for and kind of just fusses over their friends and families. That's the kind of person that it's like when her kid leaves for college, she will just collapse as a human being. Yeah. When she said that, I was just like, I can totally see you as this person. Like it was just a very realistic portrayal of someone like that, mm-hmm. I think. Because the two main characters seem to have weird insecurities about their relationship. Yeah. So there's also like a cool juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. Going to best featured actor in a play. We have Jordan E. Cooper for Eight No Mo, Samuel L. Jackson for The Piano Lesson, Arian Moyad for A Doll's House, Brandon Urenowitz for Leopoldstadt, and David Zayas for Cost of Living. I had set Jordan E. Cooper as my favorite with Brandon Urenowitz predicted to win. I definitely thought Jordan E. Cooper was the most interesting character in Eight No Mo. And also he wrote Ain't No Mo's. I mean, there's like double kudos there for him. Just to like get a little bit more into what Ain't No Mo is about. The like most general premise is that every African-American in the United States is given basically a free one-way plane ticket back to Africa to like essentially go back home, quote unquote. And Jordan E. Cooper's character plays the gate attendant for everyone to get on the plane. And also he's in drag when he's doing this. All of his scenes are like basically monologues, but like sort of miming where he's like talking to different people and like talking about like what it means for black people to go back to Africa and the culture and that sort of thing. So I definitely thought he was a standout character wise there because he, I think, was the only one that kept playing the same character amongst different scenes. But Brandon Urenowitz really seems to be a general favorite for this category i mean i think he also as a person is like a favorite overall and also leopoldstadt really got a lot of momentum this season but you put arian moyad yeah i was debating well as my favorite i was debating between that and bernie ranowitz it's just that like leopoldstadt has such a big cast and i don't remember thinking that brandon was a standout amongst the other characters like i think it was a talented cast in general yeah. but i wasn't like oh he's better like yeah wow. i actually felt like arian moyad was like i mean not my least favorite part of a doll's house because i liked all of it so that sounds like weird to say but i feel like all the other men were just slightly more impressive to me than he was I just feel like he has a very difficult character to play. I never was fully on board with um isn't his he just character. definitely a douche? Like Yeah, which is uh, Torvald is his name, which is why I like wasn't that like impressed by it, I guess. I really understood Torvald. It was like a traumatic character to me because I feel like I understood him a lot. He is just One of those guys that cares so deeply about how like other people think of him and his like spot in society and stuff. But then like behind closed doors, he will be the most terrible person ever. And like judging people not by what they've done, but by the consequences of what they've done. Maybe this is not good, but I feel like I could tell how much work went into it. Okay. Yeah. I just saw it more as like playing your standard douchebag. Um, but 
Mm. I can kind of see what you're saying. It's like that AP psych thing of like, do you uh-huh. follow rules because they're rules or you follow rules because you believe in them? Mm-hmm. And I think like he follows rules because they're rules because he is just so mad at her for forging a signature and not even because she did it and it's wrong, but because he has to deal with the consequences and he doesn't care like why she did it or anything. I think maybe I was just expecting like something to like about him. <laughs> He was just a fully unlikable, not like a sympathetic villain, basically. Yeah, which I guess is like how that character is written. So I can't really fault the actor for that. Assimilation doesn't mean to stop being a Jew. Your incidental effect would be the end of Judaism. Assimilation means to carry on being a Jew without insult. Episcopalians are assimilated. Zoroastrians are assimilated. I could be a, 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 a druid for all my professors care. It is only the Jews. I am an unbeliever. I don't observe Jewish customs except as a souvenir of family ties. But to a Gentile, I am a Jew. There isn't a Gentile anywhere who at one moment or another hasn't thought Jew. We're moving on to leading actors now. So best leading actor in a musical, we have Christian Borle for Some Like It Hot, Jay Harrison Gee for Some Like It Hot, Josh Groban for Sweeney Todd, Brian Darcy James for Into the Woods, Ben Platt for Parade, and Colton Ryan for New York, New York. So we agree that Jay Harrison Gee is getting it. Right. So I put my personal favorite as Brian Darcy James. It is like a light favorite. I also did like Christian Borle. I also did like Ben Platt. I, I mostly picked Brian Darcy James because I feel like the baker always just gets me <laughs> into the woods. <laughs> like whenever they get to know more, I'm just like, that is such a great moment. Um, and I think Brian Darcy James just is so good at playing this kind of character who's a little bit like hapless and a little bit of a like useless man child in some sense, but has to grow up, you know? And so I thought he did that really well. Um, I also did like Ben Platt a lot because I feel like I after <laughs> the Dear Evan Hansen movie, he became kind of a meme. And like, you know, then there was a whole like Nepo Baby stuff. But when I saw Parade, I was like, oh, shit, I forgot that Ben Platt can like act. And like he is actually a very good actor. I was going to say like if I had to pick, I would probably go for Ben Platt. I was very impressed with his role yeah. and the enunciation was perfect. I've always kind of not really understood the hype of his voice because although it's good, it's also not like a unique voice. Right. And we talk about that a ton, like the lack of unique voices this generation. But what's so great is not just his vocal range, but like the ease of it when he's singing. He will jump so many octaves, but then just like sound the same and not sound like he's straining his voice or anything. And that is pretty amazing. And I think when you hear that on a cast album, like if you haven't seen him live, it doesn't come off as that amazing because most cast albums have enough post-production where you like aren't able to feel any straining. But like watching it in person of just how comfortable he is with every note is really impressive. Anyways, (laughs) on to Best Leading Actress in a Musical we have Annalie Ashford for Sweeney Todd, Sarah Bareilles for Into the Woods, 
Victoria Clark for Kimberly Akimbo, Lorna Courtney for Anne Juliet, and Michaela Diamond for Parade. And we put Kimberly, Victoria Clark for Kimberly Akimbo for everything. Yeah, in full agreement here. I saw some people rave about Ailey Ashford, but we haven't seen her yet. I I have also seen people rave about her, but I feel like her reviews are pretty mixed, where some people think she is too over the top and like too sort of leaning into the humor too much. But then some people are like, oh, well, that makes it like a completely different Mrs. Lovett from who we've seen before, because obviously there have been a lot of great Mrs. Lovett's in the past. A new take on Mrs. Lovett is also always exciting. Yeah. And I, I really did love Sarah Bareilles as the baker's yeah. wife. Like, I was very impressed by her. But I think Victoria Clark, just like as a 60-something-year-old playing a teenager, she was actually quite convincing. And we talked about in our episode, because there's one scene where she actually does dress up as like a grandma. And it's kind of shocking to see her in that because you're like, whoa, you actually look old. And it's like she looked old the whole time, but she just the physicality and how she portrayed Kimberly as a 16 year old was just so like convincing that you just really were able to accept that this accept the premise that she was truly 16 years old. My seats were pretty far back in the mezzanine. So that first scene when she's at Skater Planet and she's like not the only person on stage and she's not like facing the audience yet. I basically forgot that this wasn't a teenager until like the next scene, basically. So that was to me super cool. And we've talked about how like her mannerisms and everything is is done so well to make her really seem like a teenager stuck in an older body yeah and her voice is in great shape too at least for the songs that she has in this show she does really good job of like acting through song we've changed we're strangers i'm meeting you in the woods who minds what dangers i know we'll get past the woods and once we're past let's hope the changes last beyond woods beyond witches and slippers and hoods just the two of us beyond lies all right all right so um, moving on to plays we have best leading actress in a play jessica chastain as a doll for a doll's house jodie comer for prima facie jessica hecht for summer 1976 and Audra McDonald for Ohio State Murders. We put Jessica Chastain for basically everything, but I'm predicting that Jodie Comer is going to win. Yeah, so I predicted Jessica Chastain, and I went for a favorite for Jessica Chastain because I do like her and Adol's House a lot. And yeah, Prima Facie didn't get um, a play nomination, I believe. Yeah. Like for the play. So I feel like that could knock it down a little. I know like Jodie Comer comes with great reviews but i feel like a doll's house has been like killing it for several months now Mm -hmm. so i don't know i just feel like i might have a leg up with voters and i i definitely really like jessica chastain i was really impressed i mean she just sits on the stage by herself for like 10 minutes before the show starts 
and I know. does people it were taking so many photos and i sat I down because i saw a wednesday matinee so everyone was old and um <laughs> i sat down next to a grandma that was like judging so hard she was like all of these people have their phones out taking <laughs> pictures of this random woman on stage i was like can i still do it <laughs> Well, okay. So actually, I think that was smart because I read this like interview with her or something where she was like, yeah, we did that on purpose, partly so she could get into character as Nora and be used to like, quote, being seen as an object, but also because obviously she's like famous. And normally when famous people enter the stage, they get like entrance applause or like people stop to like, you know, acknowledge them. And they didn't really want to disrupt the flow of the play in that way. So she's like, okay, well, just like put me on stage in the beginning. People can get their selfies. People can take pictures, just be like, oh my God, this is a, you know, Hollywood celebrity. And then that way, when the play starts, people are used to it. So I thought that was actually quite smart. Hmm. Um, I do still think Jodie Comer is going to win just because hers is a solo show. So that automatically makes that kind of a different ball game. If you're the only person speaking for like an hour and a half. Anyway. Best Leading Actor in a Play. We have Yaya Abdul-Mateen II for Top Dog Underdog, Corey Hawkins for Top Dog Underdog, Sean Hayes for Goodnight Oscar, Stephen McKinley Henderson for Between Riverside and Crazy, and Wendell Pierce for Death of a Salesman. The amount of people putting Top Dog Underdog. I know. Top Dog Underdog oh got fantastic reviews. I feel like we just both didn't really care about it. There's a specific genre of art house plays where people do nothing for two hours and there is a mysterious gun on stage. And in the last 15 minutes, someone gets shot and the show ends. Like that is literally a whole genre of plays for some reason. And I don't like any of them. I tried to tell you at intermission that someone was going to die and you didn't believe me. (laughs) I was just like, what do you mean? Like nothing has really happened in the play. I think I, I understand intellectually why Top Dog Underdog is interesting, but this is basically a two-person character study. And character studies like this just don't work for me. It's a very allegorical play. It's a very like it's kind of a microcosm of sibling rivalry and also of social disparity and that sort of thing. And I get that it's saying a lot, so I understand why people like it, but it just was not the type of play that I enjoy. I mean, Wendell Pierce was definitely my favorite of the season. I thought his performance in Death of a Salesman was fantastic. The devolution of him being like this really hotshot salesman, or at least someone who thinks they're really hotshot salesman, to discovering that they kind of have like no friends and no support system, and also both of his sons hate him. I think it really can speak to to anyone because I really understood it from so many different angles. On the one hand, I could feel and understand why his sons would not like him. And then on the other hand, you know, part of corporate America, like this show really instilled this fear in me of, oh my God, what is retirement like? Like nobody has pensions. Everyone's talking about how the corporate world has changed so much. And I feel like I just understood it on like a multi-generational level where like I was scared to be him, but I also understood like why people didn't like him because he's not at 
his core, like the most likable person. He's also just one of those guys that wants to provide for his family and doesn't do a great job of it, but like keeps up the act that he does and like expects his wife and children to respect him and treat him in a way like he is the sole breadwinner who's doing like great for everyone when he's not. Yeah. Um, my actual prediction as of now is Stephen McKinley Henderson for Between Riverside and Crazy. I did also put Sean Hayes as a possible runner up. I think it's going to be Stephen McKinley Henderson in kind of like a Deirdre O'Connell of last year move where he's also been around for a long time. It's going to be kind of like a lifetime achievement thing. He's actually won another lifetime achievement. Do you understand the pain you cause when you see your body just first born? I tried to let you down so gently when I had the right to tell you simply. Musical revival nominations were Camelot, Into the Woods, Parade, and Sweeney Todd. We went totally opposite or just <laughs> different on this. Well, you picked Sweeney Todd. Tell me why, considering we haven't seen it. I actually don't know. I just love Sweeney Todd so much. <laughs> I I think of these four, I will enjoy Sweeney Todd the most when I see it on the 21st. <laughs> and then, yeah, I put... For the for my prediction to win as Into the Woods, I was just very happy with this production of Into the Woods. I was introduced Into the Woods with the movie, and I literally hated it. <laughs> I was just really happy when I saw this production, and I think there was so much hype around it, and just the fact that it like transferred to Broadway because people loved it so much. I thought was telling. Yeah, I picked Parade both as my favorite and as my prediction, mostly because of sort of the things that I said when we talked about best direction of a musical. It does something different from the original, which allowed it to succeed to like now where it hadn't really succeeded in the past. I also just thought it was a good production with, you know, obviously Ben Platt was great. I liked Michaela Diamond and I like knew that he was getting lynched at the end of the show. But it does one of those things, kind of like Hades Town does, I think, where you like really truly believe that there's a way out for him to like survive. And yes, then he I was it. shocked when he died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like they gave you so much hope in Act Two, and I was telling you before, like I just felt like I watched half a show, and I, maybe that's part of it is because maybe they give you so much hope. Like I literally feel like there was so much hope that you feel like justice will reign and yeah. so then like when it just ended with his death i was like damn i really need to see an act two where he is avenged by his nephew or yeah someone <laughs> <laughs> or 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 michaela diamond is pregnant from their one prison romp and like <laughs> You know, like someone can can fucking Sherlock Holmes his shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's fair. Um, but yeah, definitely my favorite revival of the season. I did really enjoy Into the Woods, but it was also just like it was a very straightforward presentation of Into the Woods, which is like there's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like Into the Woods has been around so long that whenever you see a version of Into the Woods, you're kind of expecting it to do something different. 
And I guess like part of it was just that this also had started at city center, which is like, you know, two weeks of rehearsal, throw it on. Um, and so, I mean, maybe that's like why you liked it also because it just like did the text straight. It didn't try to do anything fancy with it. Having seen into the woods before I was also expecting something else to happen, but I mean, it was still a really good production. The cast was great. No real complaints about that other than different expectations. All right. Well, as for best play revival, we have A Doll's House, The Piano Lesson, The Sign and City Machine's Window, Top Dog, Underdog, and that is it. Um, <laughs> but then but then we added Death of a Salesman. Um, yeah. Which we both put as our favorite. I can't it believe so it sad. didn't. This didn't even like tie for last place to get a nomination like i was <laughs> shocked something down there something something we talked about earlier had seven fucking shows nominated <laughs> so like what the fuck just put death of a salesman in there yeah it was really sad I, i'm actually just surprised at the love for sign in sydney because it came to broadway so late and i don't I didn't think that it like did anything crazy. Honestly, I saw this at th- throwing them a bone because they tried really hard to get into this <laughs> Broadway season and they're like, fuck, we got to give them something. <laughs> I see. Like for those that weren't paying attention. So this had a run at um, BAM, Brooklyn Academy of Music. And then Sign in Sydney Brewstein's window was like, oh my God, we sold out at BAM. Like this cast is pretty good. We can get them for another run. And they transferred to Broadway with two days of previews, which is insane because most shows have at least two weeks, if not like a month of previews. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess they were like, it's the same cast. We can just like plop the set down and it'll be fine. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And then they opened on the last day of Tony eligibility because that's all they had time for. OK, I do. To be fair, I liked seeing it as a sort of milestone piece in theater history or whatever. And I do think it had good moments. But as a show, it definitely would not one of my favorites. I mean, definitely I liked Death of a Salesman the most, which, again, shocked that it didn't get nominated. But after that, I would probably pick A Doll's House as my favorite. Same. That's basically exactly what I wrote here. Yeah. A Doll's House, like, is kind of this happy medium for me of, like, it was almost my favorite and I would love if it won because it actually has a shot. But I think Piano Lessons actually winning or that's my prediction i didn't like it it's honestly kind of in the same category of what i was saying about top dog underdog for me i understand that like there's messaging but it's just like why are there so many plays that are this same kind of formula maybe i don't know a piano lesson was also just like a lot of talking in act one and then a lot of talking for the start of act two and then there's ghosts and then there's death and it was yeah i don't know but like people loved it i kind of should have known i should have expected that when i saw i mean i i did but i was still having a hard time i mean this is like the one that i have not seen so i can't really speak to it but i have also heard a lot of good things about it i i put this as my prediction to win with a doll's house as like a close runner up. I'm really torn on these two because a piano lesson got so many like good reviews and stuff. 
And A Doll's House was actually like kind of polarizing because of like the direction and stuff. And also because it's a new translation where they like really trimmed it down by a lot. So it sort of made it more modern by that regard. Um, But like the piano lesson was like a while ago and A Doll's House is still running. So I don't know if that's going to like play into it. Also based on the amount of people that have that I've seen predict Top Dog Underdog to win, which has truly closed so long ago. Yeah. Like I just feel like piano lesson is it's like for people that really loved Top Dog Underdog for some reason, like piano lesson is kind of like the lesser evil for them to go for almost so like i just feel like piano lesson has an advantage there yeah i agree i that's why my prediction ultimately went to piano lesson um it's just like classic american play that people love it was done well it was slightly more recent than top dog underdog so yeah yeah i I actually debated on my favorite between doll's house and death of a salesman for a while because i both i liked both of them so much like Uh they're definitely like some favorites this year for me and yeah ultimately like between doll's house and death of a salesman i would pick death of a salesman just because i feel like it's so much more relevant to my Uh life yeah and a doll's house is like i don't have a narcissistic husband so (laughs) yay for me Pretty much. The winter is forbidden till December. And exits March the 2nd on the dot. By order, summer lingers through September in Camelot. 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 I know it sounds a bit bizarre. But in Camelot. Camelot. That's how conditions are. So best new play, we have Ain't No Mo, Between Riverside and Crazy, Cost of Living, Fat Ham, and Leopoldstadt. Um, you only saw two, so you just picked your prediction as Leopoldstadt, which is also my prediction. Um, yep. It sucks when these two are our last categories because it's like we've already talked so much about why we like the plays yeah. and musicals and and what, like what we liked and what we didn't like we there's just not that much to add when it comes to the um, big categories yeah like i listed my actual favorite as cost of living which you know we did talk about already i guess just to go over fat ham a little i like the concept of fat ham a lot which is it's like a southern barbecue but it's vaguely based on hamlet juicy is the main character who is supposed to be hamlet um his dad recently died his mom is remarrying very quickly he has like a weird relationship with this one girl who's supposed to be ophelia except he's actually gay so he's like not really in love with her it was a fun show like it it's actually comedy which is not what you expect when you hear hamlet but i just feel like i left that not really sure what the purpose of the show was it wasn't a comfortable comedy though like the abusive stepdad was like Loki, so terrifying. And yeah, I don't know. Like, Juicy is a little similar to Usher in a strange loop where he, yes, I is know, like, kind of unlikable. Like, he's he's gay, but I think he's unlikable in the exact way that Usher was like, This is why you don't like us because you, you're not comfortable with like 
wimpy gay black men, basically. <laughs> like, it's not a trope that people like. Which I actually probably dislike Juicy more than Usher. He was just, like, so contemptuous of everything. Um, whereas, like, Usher, I felt like, was trying to make an effort to, like, improve his life. But Juicy was really just like, I'm here to hate everything because, like, everyone sucks. It's it's kind of been an interesting season because Leopoldstadt won the Olivier when it was over there. Uh, Fat Ham, Cost of Living, and Between Riverside and Crazy are all Pulitzer winners. Um, and actually, Life of Pi also won the Olivier, was not nominated. So it was a pretty wild season for plays. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's going to Leopoldstadt. And then finally our favorite category best new musical and we have and juliet kimberly akimbo new york new york shocked and some like it hot and we both agree that kimberly akimbo is probably gonna win but my personal favorite was shocked which we have talked about and your personal favorite was and juliet which we have also kind of talked about yeah i mean it's close right like we both like angelia and shocked a lot um i yeah, I almost convinced myself I liked Shucked more because I like for me, like original music definitely gives it an edge. Yeah. Because the original music is so good. But um yeah. The rewatch the rewatch value for Juliet is so high. And there's so many jukebox musical haters, like not even just Jesse Green. And I have loved a lot of what Broadway has been doing with jukebox musicals lately. Um, I definitely think the original story jukeboxes have fared better than the bio. Well, I don't know if they've fared better, but we like them a lot more. Yeah. (laughs) I think they're better written um, because it just sort of frees you from a little bit of the formula where you can kind of do whatever. And especially for shows like and Juliet, where it's just like you have such a wide catalog to work with you're not just stuck like especially when you do a bio musical you like have to do the hits you know and you can mm. like sort of see where people are like oh well you just put that in because you like fucking thriller and mj where you're just like oh well you just needed to make thriller a big deal because it was like a big thing um so or even like the song new york new york in new york new york like you just had to put that in there. So they were like, all right, we'll make it the last song. And and Juliet, like, I think it honestly could have been still a good musical if it just kept the book and wrote original songs. But it really is a show that capitalizes on being a jukebox musical so much. And, like, a lot of times it'll start a song on the hook to, like, play up the dramaticness. Yeah of like the scene and everything and like for like when romeo comes back to life and just like falls down from the sky like the fact that it is a song that you already know and when you hear it you're like oh my god it's this song like it just kind of makes the scene better and i guess like that goes back to like how aware like how self-aware angelia is of the comedy and the camp that it's using but like it's definitely not I feel like a lot of people like jukebox musical haters are just like, just get original music. Like why would you put on a musical and not write music for it? But like Angeliette definitely like knew what they were doing and, and like made this a jukebox musical 
with a lot of purpose. Yeah, I agree. We had debated for a while what the fifth slot for best new musical would be, which eventually we were like, it's not New York, New York. (laughs) We were like, there's no way. I was like, I was like, listen, K-pop has a chance. And then it didn't. But it did get more Tony nominations than I expected. And then I was like, maybe Bad Cinderella. But then they just really hated Andrew Lloyd Webber. So Bad Cinderella, and- <laughs> like, just, it was shut out with intention. And it's just, it's bad. But it's not as bad as people say it is. Yeah. And, and it's like, just like, uh, yeah. And I was like, I really thought A Beautiful Noise could have pulled off that fifth musical slot. But... It did not. I really want an explanation. I mean, I definitely didn't hate it as much as you did. But I mean, we liked it less than Batson and Neil Diamond, which I feel like is not great. <laughs> I'm trying to decide if I liked it more than Almost Famous. Almost Famous, I just thought was boring, but it was at least coherent. Like, so I don't know mm. which one's a greater <laughs> sin, you know. I guess we will find out on Sunday with the Tony Awards, which... Still don't really know what format that's going to be in due to the strike. Apparently, they're not allowed to have pre-written bits. So I guess everyone that's crazy to me because improving. It's not like Ariana DeBose is like a comedian or like an MC. Like, how the fuck is she going to host this without a script? I'm just like they should get Freestyle Love Supreme to host. And yeah, I think they need like (laughs) someone that knows how to vamp. Like, we need a comedian or MC type person and she's not that. So I'm like, is she going to be okay? I feel like they're kind of setting her up to fail. We'll find out. The other interesting thing, WGA is asking its members not to attend and its members include people like Ben Platt and Annalie Ashford and Sarah Bareilles. So not sure what that means for performances. Oh, that's true. So like, I don't know if they're going to perform, if they can like send in a pre-recorded performance. I mean, like all the book writers basically are WGA members. So good luck to them. It should be an interesting Tony Awards. I guess we'll, we'll have to find out. Anyway, this is the end of our regular season. So we're not completely sure what is happening next before our new season, but Be sure to follow us on any podcast platform and you can also get in touch with us on social media at Bottomless B-Way on Instagram or Twitter or by email at bottomlessbway at gmail.com. Let us know what your predictions are and we'll see how it turned out. So happy Tonys. It's Friday night.